John, sound the alarms. Emergency podcast. The emergency horns. podcast. Emergency podcast. <laughs> Let's first laugh at that notion. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the even idea of an emergency podcast. But there's so much going on, this, uh, Greg. There's so much going on. A bigger on. oxymoron than Jumbo Shrimp, if you ask me. But... <laughs> I don't know. Some of them scrims get real big. Let me tell you. But uh, Greg, Indeed there's they do. so much going on in pop culture right now. We we just have to comment. We have to. Exactly. Now, but this episode is still going out on a Thursday as it normally does. I Everybody suppose. will have already seen Avengers Endgame by then and formulated their own opinions. However, yes. and I, also I feel we can, that they can do. We can wait. spill the spoilers, right? We can spill the spoilers at this point. I guess so. Yeah. I guess we should throw a warning um, up now. We're going to be spoiling Endgame till the end of time. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That it'll be a an end game for spoilers, as it were. <laughs> so, John, let's get into it. The brand new classic, Avengers End Game. We will be talking about that soon. But first, <laughs> that is not the premise of this show. <laughs> no. All right. First, you're gonna get your you're you're gonna get your veggies. All right. We're going to stick with the formula and watch a classic film first. And I don't know if Avengers Avengers End Game might you know wind up up in that uh, canon, but. I mean, I feel like you're kind of abusing the notion of the podcast a little bit by recommending this movie. <laughs> so, what, Avengers Endgame? Or? No, 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 no. This movie that you, you forced us to watch this week. Because oh, yes. I had never heard of this movie. And I think a lot of people probably have not either. No, uh, but it's a chance to expose ourselves, as the as the show is wont to do, expose ourselves and others to more outhouse fare. And this one has a lot of accolades behind it. Uh, it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Mm-hmm. It's currently in the IMDb Top 250. Mm-hmm. And it introduces us to a, a new filmmaker, uh, one who I think is uh, ascending his way through the canon of all-time greats, <laughs> perhaps. I don't know. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about his other films. We'll hold off is, until uh, one of his... We'll hold off until his version of Dune comes out. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of course, we're talking about the 2010 French-Canadian film Encendie. Au notaire Jean Lebel, enterrez-moi sans cercueil, nu et sans prière, le visage tourné vers le sol, face première contre le monde. Pierre et épitaphe. Aucune pierre ne sera posée sur ma tombe et mon nom gravé nulle part. Pas d'épitaphe pour ceux qui ne tiennent pas leurs promesses. À Jeanne et Simon, l'enfance est un couteau planté dans la gorge. On ne le retire pas facilement. Jeanne, le notaire Lebel te remettra une enveloppe. Cette enveloppe est destinée à votre père. Retrouve-le et remets-lui cette enveloppe. Yes, and sorry, because it we'll play it by Canadian rules and we'll translate into uh, English, and that's uh, fires, <laughs> uh, okay, or sparks essentially. Yeah, something something to light a fire. Well, I was looking, I was looking at the title. I'm like incendiaries. I keep wanting to call it incendiaries. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you might as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it's one of those few movies where it's not localized. Uh, if, if you, if you were around in 2010 um, at the Art House Cinema, <laughs> you would see on the marquee it would say incendie and not fires or something else or, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, searching for mom's dead dead son or something. I don't know. <laughs> Our dead mom's son. <laughs> I, again, got it all confused. Uh, John, why don't you go ahead and try to explain what's going on here? Um, the elevator pitch is, this is a separation meets Chinatown. <laughs> That's my elevator <laughs> <Yes>. pitch. <laughs> okay. You're only saying a separation because it's set in a, mostly in a Middle Eastern country. Yes. And this, and one <laughs> of the brilliant things about this movie is it keeps everything deliberately obtuse. Um, 
I knew nothing about going into this film, and um, it opens with a Radiohead song, which basically tells you everything you think you know about this movie. I was like, oh, God, (laughs) here we go. But as the movie unfolds, so uh, ostensibly the plot is a pair of twins, their mother dies, and she has a very strange request in her will. She's like, I want to be buried naked, face down, (laughs) with no headstone. (laughs) And she is, if you want to bury me any other way, you have to deliver a letter to um, my other son, which you had no idea about, and your father, who you've never met. And they were like... We should explain the mother mother is a refugee from uh, uh, some unnamed Middle Eastern country. Exactly. Uh, I believe in the play, I believe in the play that this movie is based on, it's Lebanon, but... Mm -hmm. But yeah, it keeps it, it ambiguous. It yeah, it's never mentioned in the movie, and so the kids a they had no idea they had a, another brother, and b they never knew who their father was. And what's also brilliant yes. about the movie is it you never get an actual scene except for one with the actual kids interacting with their mother. But already from the performances, you can tell that their relationship is strained. And yes, once you actually go through the movie, you understand why their relationship is so strange. <laughs> and so I'm just going to put this out here. I knew nothing about going into this movie. I had no preconceived notions about this movie. And it is one of the best films I've ever seen. It is brilliant. And I loved every second of wow. it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Um, and again, like the Chinatown comparison, I'm trying not to give the game away, but it kind of goes yeah. in a Chinatown-y direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to first like, Again, I had very little knowledge of this movie going in either. Mm-hmm. So I want to get your kind of first impressions out of the way. First is kind of this setup where the mother mysteriously gives them, like, like uh, I thought maybe it's a little convoluted for the movie to start. Well, uh, the mother well, is. If we're going off first impressions, I'll bring up the fact that, again, it opens with a Radiohead song. It opens up mm-hmm. in a undescript Middle Eastern country, and I'm like, oh, God, we're in for it, aren't we? <laughs> I thought this was just going to be another yeah. <laughs> bog standard, like, foreign film. Oh, they're speaking French. Oh, it's lit very naturalistically. It's a very realistic yeah. portrayal. And then once the mystery starts unfolding, I'm like, all right, now I'm super invested because. I think most of the problem with these, like, quote-unquote, slice-of-life movies is that they, they, like, well, if you don't make it cinematic, then why do I care? But because this movie, again, has such a weird central hook and goes in a direction you could never kind of expect, that's what kept me so Mm -hmm. drawn to it. That's what kept me so invested the whole time. Okay, so let's transition then. I think what really the movie's credit, or what really we can credit for being so compelling mm-hmm. and that is the direction of Denis Villeneuve. Um, have you ever seen one of his movies? Uh, I've seen Arrival. So I I described him as this generation's, and I've coined the term, I'm going to trademark this. <laughs> okay. Oh, nobody steal this. <laughs> this kind of generation's uh, David Fincher because he's very exacting, mm. kind of cold at a distance. Very technical. Uh, however, it's perfect yes very technical but is perfect for these kind of mystery movies like arrival or prisoners like he's uh, his other english language uh, efforts um this is one of his this is what really kind of um shined a spotlight to on him toward the world um in the way that he directs this mystery and it unfolds um as you said in a very naturalistic but also somewhat of an off-putting way Mm -hmm. um because things are very stage at a 
very long distance. That's the first kind of thing I noted. A lot of shadows as well, even though, and even though the world itself seems somewhat uh, plain, particularly when the when we uh, flashed or not flash forward, but um, in the scene set in Quebec, um, how like kind of natural those scenes are. Yet the the way that they're staged and framed is yet so compelling at the, at the same time. Exactly, and um, it feels also very deliberate. What I also love about this movie is that there's no wasted space, which I often complain about with these kind of like slice of slice of life movies. You know, you get like five yeah. minutes of them puttering around the kitchen, but you know, every yes. single scene that you think is just kind of a slice of life actually has a very deliberate meaning. Um, again, I mm-hmm. went back to the one scene where we actually see the adult mother interacting with her daughter. Um, it's at a pool. It's at a public pool, which I thought was a little strange. Yes. So, like, who brings their adult daughter to a public pool? <laughs> but once you kind of, like, once the movie unfolds and once you get the full context of everything that's happened at the point, once the story kind of completely unfolds, it, it, it gives everything such a richer texture. And there's so much kind of, like, foreshadowing or imagery in the movie that eventually ties back in, almost to the point where it's like, I kind of understand why people keep things so obtuse. They don't want to like keep it open for the dum dums. But that like this movie achieves that perfect balance of like it's obtuse enough, but also so obvious for the dum dums that even I appreciated it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, yeah, like David Fincher says this. Um, he he keeps things deliberately wide so that when you do cut to a close up, you know that something's very important. Exactly. And so there's, when there are those there's moments, one very like, obvious let's say, tracking shot. Um, yes, we know something is going to happen the next day at ten o'clock, and we see the. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, I'm so terrible with the characters' names. What is the mother's name? It begins well, with the, an N. Nadia. Uh, oh, it's a uh, Nadel. Uh, sorry, Nawal. 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 Nawal walks out of a car with a briefcase, and it's a long tracking shot. But the camera is just on the briefcase, mm-hmm. and she yes. got a call the night before that something important is going to happen at ten thirty, and that's all we know. But again. Every, the whole, the camera is on this long tracking shot on the briefcase. We know the briefcase is important. And the way the scene yeah. terminates is there's a gun in the briefcase and it's going to be used on somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I just, the example I wanted to use is, um, so we should explain, Noel is, again, a refugee from a, a this very this unnamed country but also destitute riven with a uh, religious strife she's raised christian mm-hmm. in what appears to be a, a majority muslim country exactly and she gives birth to an illegitimate child uh, that's that's tragedy one of about 10,000 in her <laughs> life <laughs> um important factor the child is tattooed he has he gets three dots on his foot so in case she ever wants to find her again she has a signifying marker that she can point to and yes. be like that's my child Yes, and that's another like key close up. And it's, speaking of sound design too, like when the child starts wailing in pain, actually at actually getting tattooed moments after it's, uh, he's born, mm-hmm. like that's also like a brilliant kind of off-putting thing. Because as you said, realistic in the way that outside of those two Radiohead songs, I don't think there's any uh, score or any like non-diegetic sound. But um, I do want to push back that so far that this is not a slice of life movie. This is a Greek tragedy. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like yes, I feel like specifically you're, you're the edible game Greek tragedy. <laughs> Edip, yes, Edip, yes. I don't want to give the game, as you said, too much away. But yeah, this I believe the original author uh, that the story is the the play. The author of the play on on which this movie is based was inspired by uh, Oedipus. So.
بتغلي من الباص بلي بنتي 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 So I, I, I do agree with you there um, in terms of also speaking in the brilliant direction, the way that these scenes unfold, like for instance, the direction and stuff is already off-putting as it is. You kind of expect tragedy to come around in the corner. The very next scene happens when she's on a bus trying to escape this compound that she's, that she's stuck on and it gets attacked by rebels. Mm -hmm. And we see it all through her kind of point of view. Exactly. And we also um, don't including get... Including like when they, when they shoot through the windows and she falls to the floor again sound design brilliant like it's it's an utterly devastating scene but executed like so perfectly that you feel that sadness mm -hmm. and the other thing too is we don't get the full context until later who these rebels are fighting for or what they're fighting about until later in the movie again it's so it's obtuse which again given mm -hmm. the style of it you think it's part of the oh it's the slice of life movie it's like we're not supposed to mean anything but it's only because again there's a central mystery to the story and we're only doled out in that information at the perfect time and so we, all we see is these bandits shoot up this bus they kill the bus driver and they just kill and they try to kill as much and as many people on this bus as they can and they only spare her yeah. because she says i'm a christian and in her mm -hmm. also last act of defiance, there's one little girl who survived with her mom. She tries to claim that that's her daughter in order to save her. Um, doesn't really work out that way, unfortunately. No. <laughs> no, again, the movie pulls no punches, obviously, in those dramatic stakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if... I, God, I hope life doesn't play out this, <laughs> this fatally. Uh, mm -hmm. However, like, as drama, like, it... It really does work. I mean, Vinyev is kind of like brilliant at that. However, seeing a few of his other films like Sicario and Prisoners and, and movies like that, I could see that he's like his directorial style, but he's also drawn to these kind of mysterious stories where information unfolds a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, I find there are some imperfections in this movie. Uh, well, besides instance, the fact that so it's we're contrived as hell. <laughs> Yeah, well, that too. Yes, <laughs> we'll get to the contrivances later. But mm -hmm. uh, I want to speak to first the 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 first few signs that maybe the the, the mystery isn't playing out in the most compelling way, mm -hmm. because um, the two twins, their names are Gian uh, Gian and Simon. Simon. So they do both arrive in this unnamed country in the Middle East, and from there, all this information has to be doled out by their family lawyer's friend. <laughs> and so he's a that's, notary, though, which. In the That's universe true, of the yeah. movie is the most notable profession you can be. <laughs> but uh, I will say this, also like Game of Thrones, it makes it finds a way to make that compelling. Like so, the the mother, as a, as an act of defiance, she shoots this high ranking official. Mm -hmm. She goes to prison for about fifteen years, and if, there she gets the moniker the woman who sings. Mm -hmm. And obviously, and all these little chapters are split up by these big red title cards. So again, in terms of like even though it's a very realistic movie they find a way to spice it up a little bit with some <laughs> exactly. drama with like a, but that's what i love about it is the fact that it's it's mm -hmm. still so it's still it's naturalistic but still cinematic at the same time they found that perfect balance between making yeah. it true to life with the handheld camera with the very naturalistic lighting but also again big red title cards very contrived story <laughs> like big <Yeah>. central <laughs> mystery but also like everything seems to fit lots of foreshadowing lots of payoffs so Again, okay. Yeah, I, I do want to give the yeah. movie credit for that. Yeah. So yeah, while the impressions are positive, yeah, let's get into that big contrivance because they're 
the woman who sings, unfortunately, she meets, she meets a very tough guard named Astolf, who essentially rapes and tortures her. Exactly. Who, who does uh, do all and the so, like, And so that's who the notary... Yes, and so that's who the notary basically says you have to find. You have to find X person who worked at this prison who knows Astolf and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so there, like the, I think the movie kind of loses, loses a little bit of a juice behind it. Um, if we are just looking for, like, if we are just anticipating Greek tragedy here, <laughs> it, it is kind of lose. It does lose a little bit when they're like, okay, you have to find X character, and they just do. However, there is one great scene where they find... Now Simon, who's who's been hesitant with this whole thing, he just kind of wants to move on with his life. Gian takes uh, the death of her mother much harder, mm-hmm. and she's the one who who really drives the investigation until she can until she can rope uh, Simon in. And it's not until they meet this this old terrorist who's out in hiding, and Simon has to be blindfolded that he's finally drawn into the mystery. Exactly. So it's it's as if the it's as if the drama is kind of like coming back, and and we suddenly feel like the threat of violence again. However, the the this old terrorist is suddenly played like very sympathetically. Like he he obviously feels a, a, this great affection for Nawal and wants to explain her whole his, well, he feels, her whole history. He to feels Simon. loyalty to her. Because, again, yes. she's done so much. She's put up with 15 years of torture for something he commanded her to do. And he's, like, part of the reason why it all works out for them is because he's like, I'm going to take care of you. You've obviously suffered enough. Which is, you know, it's mm-hmm. a little it's a little strange, you know. He's like a tough, hardened criminal, but it's also like he has that sense of loyalty that, you know, I owe you this because you've done so much for us. Um, My mother's called Nawal Marwan. اسم امها نوال مروان اللي نيسي قال تحكي انه هي تعرف انها انولدت هون ما عم نعرفها اكيد بنعرفها كيف ما بتعرفها فديها امها امها فديها ايش مالكم لا خلص هي هون امها فديها The other weird thing about the fact that we only follow Simon for the last third is because Gian's story parallels her mom so well, almost to the point where I got yeah. confused who we were following at certain points, because A, yeah. they look so much alike. And it was hard to. Kind yeah, of... the two, the actresses playing a young Noel and a modern day, her modern day daughter do look almost identical. And they were talking about hard cuts between what her, what's taking place in flashback and what's taking place in the present day. That yeah, it's a little tough to track for that exactly first, in like, the first act. For a second, I thought Gian was on the bus. <laughs> like it took me a second because yeah. they, they're even wearing like the same clothes. And unless it was for the presence of cell phones, you wouldn't know what time period it's taking place in. <laughs> yeah. So it can it can get a little <laughs> tough. But it's again, there's that kind of like parallels uh Jeanne is on a discovery of trying to find her mom whereas um Niha Nihad is looking for her son she's on this journey yes. looking for her son who was in an orphanage that was bombed that's really all we know mm-hmm. about what happened to him eventually we get the whole story but <laughs> yes but John yeah before you move on can I ask you a question yes is it true that one and one make one I mean <laughs> The other thematic parallel. Um, apparently, so, yeah. Jeanne is a mathemat- uh, math student. She wants to be a mathematician. Yeah, like a TA. Yeah, there's only one scene that basically shows what... And that, that that's a great thing about slice-of-life movies. Like, it really tries to try to fill out every detail. Because <laughs> you'd think you'd have, you'd have so little drama to actually work with 
that yes, you have to fill out the little details, but it's a very thematic parallel in which Simon basically reveals to her the secret of both uh, their mother's uh, son and father. Well, I mean, there, yes, there's that very obvious parallel, but it's the fact that, you know, she's trying yeah. to find answers and there's no clean ones. And again, like the Oedipus story, does the truth truly set us free? I think that's ultimately the question yeah. the movie's <laughs> trying to lead with. They find the son, they find the father, and uh, spoiler alert, they only have one Christmas card they need to send. <laughs> <laughs> If we're going to go with Chinatown parallels, you know, smack. She says, um, their father is uh, her son. Smack. Their father is her son. <laughs> yes, it turns out the, the prison guard that was torturing and raping her was actually her son that she gave away many years ago. Mm-hmm. Which... And so, yes, they are, um, also Jian and Simon are basically the product of incest. Exactly. And, again, talking about kind of a weird timeline, he doesn't look like he should be that old, but, you know, like... Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yes. the story is potent enough that you don't really question it. <laughs> no, including things like, um, again, it's a very powerfully done scene. As I alluded to, Simon is, has heard this devastating news, and he has no other way to impart it other than through this math problem that she's working on, or this quandary. And that's when she... It's speaking of great performances, the actress who plays Gian, like you know, gasps and <laughs> covers her mouth. Mm-hmm. Again, it's one of the most powerful moments in in the scene in the whole movie. And um, yeah, there's that, and then also big contrivance. Earlier, their mother, they're at the public pool as you mentioned, and the mother goes catat- catatonic, and the two twins can't explain why mm-hmm. until it's revealed that she sees, oh my gosh, there's there's a young man in at the pool with three dots tattooed on his ankle and wouldn't you know oh it was my torturer years earlier yeah. so well also I, again how they wound up how they wound up at the exact same public pool we'll never know but <laughs> how they ended up in the exact same city who cares but <laughs> yes even city country exactly <laughs> but again like it's a big world out there but <laughs> well i mean the swimming thing really didn't make much sense to me either until you find the thematic parallels the story the they find a reason to give it you know, obviously, this yeah. torturer has been raping every woman in that prison, and mm-hmm. as a result, it's you know given a lot of unwanted pregnancies. What do they do with all these babies? That we just get one single static shot of a river at night, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it's implied <laughs> where all these babies end up, but the twins are spared. And again, we keep yes. getting these shots of you know what strong swimmers they are. Once they kind of once they're close to the truth, we cut to a, you know the hotel that they're staying at. And they're doing like the butterfly and the backstroke, and they're doing yeah. these laps. <laughs> yeah. Like clearly they're professional. They're both huffing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of strong, like subtle parallels going on, which I you know I just think is great and you know so cinematic and brilliant. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drooling so thank you, Greg, for thank recommending you, Greg. this movie. Is what you. Un plus un, ça fait deux. Quoi? Un plus un, ça fait deux. Ça peut pas faire un. 
Et tu fais de la fièvre? Jeanne. Un plus un, ça peut-tu faire un? I mean, I, um, I, I, I like the movie too. I've, I'm less enthusiastic about those little contrivances. And also, um, I wish there was a little bit more kind of messiness to the direction. As you said, Villeneuve is very good in the way that um, he frames shots um, using handheld sparingly but effectively. No musical score, that worked. Um, but b because things are kind of shot at a distance, I was looking for a little bit more emotional connection. Mm -hmm. um, other than that scene in which, you know, GN makes this horrible revelation, they're not very emotional about this whole investigation. I mean, she pleads with Simon to, like, help out, but he's just kind of obstinate. And so they're. I mean that is kind they're of they're a bit uh, they're a bit atom uh, they're a bit like automatons in this in this, in this in the horrible machinations of the story. I mean that is ultimately the biggest flaw of the movie is the fact that Simon yeah. is such a key player, but only till the third act. <laughs> like he's not yes. he's literally in one of the earliest scenes showing that he obviously does not want anything to do with this wild goose chase until the third act when he needs to be part of this wild goose chase, and then he's just an absent yeah. presence the rest of the movie. So I do think that yeah. is a bit of a problem. And, I mean, they even point to that, the fact that Ginny, Gian at one point just goes, now it's your turn. <laughs> like, they even yeah. kind of, like, <laughs> wink at that point. But um, I just think it's a brilliant film, you know, in terms of just the direction, the styling of it, but then also the story, even though, yes, it is completely contrived and it's completely over the top and ridiculous. But once you give it that kind of <laughs> cinema <laughs> verite... Then it's like, ooh, yes, yeah. you've got chocolate in my peanut butter. You got peanut butter in my chocolate. I think that's what <laughs> I think that's what makes this movie work so well. Yeah. So uh, if we give it five stars. Yes, five stars. <laughs> yes. Cinq uh, cinq étoiles. <laughs> the IMDb <laughs> two, top two hundred fifty gets it right for once. Good job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on. Come on. because I have kind of this impression of his of Denis Villeneuve's English language efforts mm -hmm. uh, but what do you think because that's another kind of not really contrived story but it has this twist in the end that really kind of jars you emotionally I what mean, do you think of that? Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it but I remember having kind of the same kind of emotions where it's like oh they did plan that out or oh I see the thematic parallels like again yeah. but you know style wise like everything was very kind of tight like almost a little too tight I think that's kind of the mm. biggest complaint you can have against him is that he's 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 technical, but almost you're right to, towards a distance. And I felt the same way about Arrival. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very well done movie, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't stir you emotionally. It's just kind of like, oh, that all fits. That all scans. <laughs> yeah. 
that's why I think maybe he'd be best suited for material that was emotional, say family drama, but didn't rely on these kind of contrivances mm. or su- or sudden revelations or something. Because yeah, that's the problem with prisoners, which is like interminably long and and as ridiculous as seven. <laughs> like it turns out to be as ridiculous as seven, <laughs> even though it was never set up that way. Okay, and. Yeah, and same with um. Well, to a lesser extent, Sicario. That's not a twisty story, but it's. I found its protagonist Emily Blunt is is a complete like Simon, like a, just a complete non-presence in the story. Like she just has to oh really sit and follow along with it, and not really yeah, not really doesn't have a whole lot of agency in it. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a that's our quick aspiring stumps movie corner. Um, <laughs> and again, but it gives you well, a sense of. I'll hold off until I see his version of Dune. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we need to see how he handles Dune. Exactly. Yes. Better or worse than David and also, Lynch? Who knows? <laughs> and also, like Dave, uh, David Fincher, um, not exactly huge box office successes, yet he's, always, he's failing upwards in a way. Um, <laughs> gaining critical acclaim and therefore getting bigger and bigger projects. I mean, he doesn't need to be the most successful at the box office. All he needs to do is get it under budget no. and on time. That's really what matters. And I, yeah. think, I think he's very good at that as well. So that's probably also why he's like okay. kind of reached this golden boy status and can still get those accolades he can at least get those trophies Mm -hmm. so when dune finally comes out uh, look forward to our review of blade runner 2049 (laughs) which neither of us have seen nor do we want to sit uh two and a half hours another little peek behind the scene we had the opportunity to do blade runner um when 2049 came out but also we're not the biggest blade runner fans we both don't care for that movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Uh, we we'd already seen one cut of it, and we're like, eh, one cut is enough. Yeah, <laughs> Ridley Scott. Uh, we're not gonna sit through five more. Yeah, we can only there's give. Only, there's only so much foundation you could build on. We can only give Ridley Scott so much. Uh, like, you can't. <laughs> you just can't keep giving us a director's cut every single time. Okay, come on. No. Give us no. a good final product yeah. the get first right. time. How about? Yeah. How about you get it right the first time, huh, bud? <laughs> Ugh, I mean, these anyway. directors and producers are probably batting, butting heads all the time. I hope that there's a movie coming out soon where everything just seems to work in perfect balance. Yes, speaking of another movie that's currently in the IMDb Top 250, mm-hmm. also also extremely long. <laughs> Has a lot Folks. of thematic presence with mirroring and parallel stories. <laughs> yes. Folks, time to time to get to the main course. You've, you've enjoyed your salad. Let's let's get let's get let's to the get, dessert. Yeah. Let's get to the sugary sweetness. Yeah. <laughs> let's get talking to, about it. We're talking Avengers Endgame, or as I keep calling it, Infinity War Two, <laughs> <laughs> which I know fell out of yeah, which isn't the working title anymore. So, but I keep calling it Infinity War because it's only been one year. Gosh, what a long year! I know. Gosh, <laughs> ready to feel old? Infinity War came out last year. <laughs> I know. I thought it was eight years ago, but yes. Uh, it's been a year since, as we revealed, everybody died, everyone turned to dust. Um, Spoiler, everyone lives, except for Iron Man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, John, let's get the, let's just get to the, the meat of it. Did you like Endgame? I liked it a lot. Um, I don't mm. know if I liked it as much as Infinity War, because uh, going into Infinity War, there was this kind of sense of like, who knows where this is going? There was a lot of like, just like watching Game of Thrones is like, all right, who's going to make it? Who's not? And going into yeah. Endgame, there was less of that. But also, like, I remember leaving Infinity War thinking, like, that was so bonkers how they, like, made all those elements kind of work. Here, 
they made even weirder kind of elements try to work <laughs> all together. And maybe they were more successful at it? I really don't know. Maybe enough time hasn't passed. Let's see how much it seeps into my brain, because I literally no, I watched think... it a few hours ago, and I'm really struggling remembering a lot of it. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let me spoil it for you, John. Mm-hmm. It does work better, because they had less to do in a greater amount of time. I guess that's um... true, yes. Let's give the movie credit where it's due. For a three-hour, what could be just a fireworks factory, they do spend a lot of time contemplating grief and how characters respond to grief. (laughs) Like, the first third of this movie is literally just characters sitting around talking about how sad they are. And that's kind of really (laughs) impressive for a $250 million blockbuster. (laughs) Yeah, and those are the moments that I really enjoyed. I think there's a whole hour stretch where there's no action scene. Instead, it's just these characters kind of contemplating what's the next step to take or processing their grief and whether they want to move on from this tragedy that happened five years ago. Uh, Just to explain story-wise, yes, Thanos uh, snapped his fingers and turned half the whole universe into dust. Mm -hmm. So five years pass and... There is... Hold on, hold on. I want to mention one thing. Mm -hmm. There is one little brief action scene, but it's almost like a... It's it's kind of brilliant. It's it's the Emperor Snoke moment in the, in the Last Jedi. It's yeah. like they kill the big bad literally within the first fifteen minutes. So there's no real villain for the first third either. <laughs> like yes. the main villain is grief that they all have to deal with, and the fact that they can't just fix yes. it. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, for a three-hour movie, it's not just as I was fearing one giant big battle, mm-hmm. which we Instead, do get we to, do have which we group. do get to. Yes, well, eventually, but. <laughs> We do get this reprieve in the form of characters kind of motivating, and that's what Marvel movies kind of excel at, like giving characters a a particular, a simple either emotional arc or philosophy on how they want to proceed, uh, which motivates them to proceed through the story. Um, And we get the same thing here with characters who either found a new life following this terrible event or want to go back and fix it, even though the villain has contrived a scenario where there is no going back and fixing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. And that's and that's a good twist, yeah. Because obviously audiences are way thanks to the internet, audiences are way savvier than they've ever been. <laughs> so obviously everybody thought, you know, the plan was just get the gauntlet, you know, snap and reverse everything as they were before. Well, the gauntlet and the stones are basically destroyed, so they they have to contrive another way if they want to switch everything back. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, hey, time travel is here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Scott Lang comes back from the quantum realm. And he just discovered yes. that if you hit a time vortex, you could basically manipulate time as you so choose. Yeah, which thank thank God, it seems like they finally rewarded viewing one of these <laughs> Marvel movies. <laughs> I feel like every other one could have been skipped, but yeah, there was something something so satisfying well, about also seeing because some of them they and literally seeing all the little callbacks. Well, they literally revisit older movies in this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's what I think is ironic is they revisit the most popular one, the original Avengers from 2012, but also they revisit one of the least popular one, 2013's Thor The Dark World. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's because, yeah, you gotta look for the little gaps in the story to tell. In the case of the, I think obviously the most compelling one is in the Avengers after they defeated Loki, they, they do find these interesting scenarios where Loki gets one of the stone backs and transports them out of here, so they've got this twist you know, how, how do we get the stone back now? And also, Captain America fights himself. Exactly. Which is a lot of fun. Yeah, so they they do find fun little set pieces in those moments. Um, I guess including emotional ones. Uh, even though they don't really 
go anywhere it's still it's still compelling all the same like thor gets a reunion with his mother Mm -hmm. tony stark gets a reunion with his father Mm -hmm. captain america almost gets a reunion with his old flame which uh, whatever her name was all right let's (laughs) Um, just agent carter um Again, yes. <laughs> let's just talk about the all-star cast, all right? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans back. My Avengers are John Slattery, Tilda Swinton, and Robert Redford, okay? <laughs> They're all in this movie, yes. and it's all brilliant, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Even though they only get about one scene apiece? Uh, Tilda Swinton, obviously, she's the strongest actor in no matter what she's in, <laughs> but <laughs> the way they've written her as kind of whatever her name is, Emperor Supreme, uh, she... She has a strong. She's the most conflicted one of these kind of callback characters. So well, it's also kind of brilliant credit, because there, she's too. confronted by the Hulk. Um, we uh, mm-hmm. spoiler alert: Hulk is now one. He's it's no longer Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Now it's just Hulk, and he's kind of now he's like he has the strength of the Hulk, but still the personality of Bruce Banner. Um, yeah. And so what you think is going to be just and the appearance of the Hulk, we should also explain exactly that. yes. And so what's brilliant is it sets you up like oh it's just going to be another action set piece, the ancient one, Tilda Swinton versus the Hulk. And instead it turns into a dialogue yeah. scene. If it turns into a debate where it's like look if yeah. you give me the stone, I think we can fix it. And she's like no 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 you're not going to fix it. It's never going to work. <laughs> and it's yeah. And eventually it convinces. There's a good visual like with a yeah gold a timeline bar kind of <laughs> yeah. So again, like it's it's impressive that the movie almost teases you. It's like it gives you like fun little moments, like Captain America versus mm-hmm. himself. But they're not yeah. like the other kind of weird twisty thing is like you know it rewards you, but also subverts expectations. There's a moment where Captain America enters um, an elevator with hidden Hydra agents. We know they're hidden Hydra yeah. agents because we've seen the Winter Soldier. Also, we've seen how well Captain America does in an elevator fight <laughs> with yeah <laughs> against Hydra agents. And it doesn't turn into a fight. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you zigged and I thought you were going to zig and you oh, zagged. See. So did you like it when it zagged, when you expected it to zig? Did you want Did you want to see them redo essentially the same fight you saw in Captain America, the Winter Soldier? Or were you happy that they... It's, 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 it's tricky because on the one hand, yes, they kind of set it up to be like fanboy service, which this movie, more than any other Avengers movie, has ever been. But also mm-hmm. the fact that they, yes, they tease you with it and then also, like, don't worry, we're saving it for the finale where you have fucking... <laughs> we'll, can't, we'll get to the finale, but, you know, it's the ultimate yeah, yeah, yeah. fan let's not, let's not arrive there yet. I I want to get to the, the way in which characters change. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, now it's like Professor Hulk. He's got glasses on and yes. uh, salt and pepper beard. And so, that like, I, I kind of giggled every time I saw Mark Ruffalo <laughs> on screen. Somehow, I hope he didn't have to uh, paint his way through a motion capture well, we sh- suit yes. as he's complained about in the past. <laughs> but but um, we should also talk yeah, about that, the, that made, all the other major transformation, which is Thor. <laughs> yes. So it, the whole kind of made me laugh, I think, unintentionally. Thor's character change is designed to make you laugh intentionally. Mm-hmm. Because, because he is not dealing first, with grief first well. he's beset by Yeah, first he's beset by the grief of failing to chop off Thanos' head and preventing him from snapping. But following this five-year uh, intermission, he basically becomes a, a party. <laughs> he basically becomes a a uh, fail son, mm-hmm. wherein he just sits inside, drinks beer, and plays video games all day. Exactly. And uh, I love the fact that they even played with his physique a bit. He's wearing a fat suit for basically yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> and we know Chris Hemsworth still has a six-pack underneath, but it's it's never not funny yeah. watching him in that fat suit <laughs> with the big scraggly beard and the bad wig. <laughs> 
Yep, and all your best friends are back. Um, whatever Krog or whatever who the rock guy Hi. is, voiced by Tai Waikiki. <laughs> yeah, no, that kid's on Fortnite again. <laughs> of course, I had to have a Fortnite. He called me a dickhead. He called me a dickhead again. <laughs> Sorry, dickhead is one of the just the best New Zealand words. But yes. <laughs> These are all like good transitions. I don't know how Chris Hemsworth felt about <laughs> having to put on that fat suit. Oh, I think he loved it because be he's the, been he's been the trying, comic relief. Yeah, he's been trying to go into a more comic direction with the character ever since. So I totally, okay. I totally think that that was totally his idea. That was totally his plan. Yeah. Yes, and he still and he still gets to play the a uh, a strong presence at the end because they do go back in time and kind of reverse everything so so Thanos isn't the soulful villain that he was before kind of which, motivated by yeah which they have motivated a, by like an a, an altruism to like restore resources for half the universe by getting rid of the other half <laughs> yay That's kind instead of he's more he's he's reverted to like being a movie monster which again like story wise makes sense they've gone back in time literally before yeah. <laughs> infinity war so you know we don't get to see that transformation that sorrowfulness now he's just straight up glowering villain which you could argue is yeah. a missed opportunity but also that's kind of what is needed this is the thor iron man captain america story now like we don't really need that much you know depth added to thanos yes i and that's why i prefer this movie to the first infinity infinity war sorry <laughs> i prefer Endgame to infinity war they are they are two of a piece mm-hmm. and i feel like you can enjoy them without seeing uh without being invested in the rest of the marvel cinematic universe but i'm i'm glad because yeah it feels like the the story of the heroes and maybe yeah the villain's motivation and the texture to his character takes a back seat that said, um, it does make the drama going on with our protagonists much better. Exactly. However, John, you did just you did just point out that this is the story of Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, mm-hmm. three white men. <laughs> what about the ladies, though, John? Let's 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 give them a moment, okay? Uh... <laughs> okay, where the movie kind of drops yeah, the ball so... is its female characters, because yes. Scarlet Witch gets one big moment. Uh, spoiler alert: where she sacrifices herself. That's her big moment. Yeah. And then Captain Marvel is barely in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I, I was amazed. I thought does the same yeah, thing she she's be the... been doing for the last four years, which is I'm in deep space trying to fix shit. I'll show up when I feel like it. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And my move is just going to be I'm going to fly through a spaceship and blow it up. That's just her move. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, people complain about the Superman problem where he's like, well, he's too powerful. It's like literally Captain Marvel already has that problem and she's barely had one movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so the end there's kind of this um it's speaking of the they do go back in time it does the plan does work however thanos gets transported to earth blows up the avengers headquarters and it looks like they're outgunned mm-hmm. by thanos he's got this whole army but john wouldn't you know it with all the event uh, with all the infinity stones back in the hands of the avengers they do snap it and all your favorite <laughs> characters are back <laughs> Instantly, so I'm not gonna. I, the movie moves at such a clip. You're not there to question, like, okay, how many times did they go back in the past and you know completely rewrite the future? How how can they be transported from Atlanta, Georgia, to New Jersey to <laughs> deep space to? How did they know? Again, it's just quantum physics. Yeah. Yeah. How did they know exactly. they all need to meet up in upstate New York, where Thanos is currently? Yeah. It's all. Yeah. It. It all kind of. It works in such. It works so the the engine works so well. You don't really question how exactly it achieves it. However, all this leads up to one big final giant battle. I mean, 
Guys, which we are talking I think aliens fighting wizards yes. with a Pegasus is involved in the battle. Yeah. <laughs> like it is literally the weirdest cacophony you can imagine on screen. Like even Ready Player One feels like just <laughs> at least with Ready Player One exactly. it's like Oh, of course it's supposed to be a hodgepodge. This is literally a hodgepodge and it is insane. <laughs> yeah. Not not as headache inducing as I feared it would be. Uh, I was they do give... I was stuck in the very front row, so let me tell you, yes, it was very headache oh, really? inducing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Shaky camp does not do not well from where if you're in the front row. Yeah, not not from where I was sitting, but uh, they do give characters all these these little moments, including one for all the ladies in the Marvel yes. Cinematic Universe. <laughs> how, how did you think of that that little set piece? I rolled my eyes at the it. Was... I thought it was stupid. Yeah, there was something about it that seemed a little pandering, especially when the whole rest of the movie doesn't really doesn't really give these women enough attention is the issue. Mm-hmm. And this, and and this is like supposed a... to feel like it's making up for it. It's kind of like, uh, no, that's yeah. not enough. Too little, too little, too late. Yeah. That, that said, I don't want to diminish it. Maybe we should... F- being white men ourselves and saying like oh we found it we found it condescending and and pandering however maybe maybe there are like uh young women out there in the audience who did who did appreciate it so i don't, I don't know i i guess it 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 works in that they they do at least like set up this moment where all the female heroes can come together and and work together so well again it would have meant more i think that's, I think that's a credit to how the movie works you know that's true yeah yeah that uh, yeah, that's one thing. Again, they they set her up like th- in the last movie. It appears that she is going to be not just the original Avenger, but the key to defeating Thanos. And yeah, that's not even it. It turns out that yeah, it's a <laughs> she's a Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> you know, she comes yeah. in just when you know you think the moment's the darkest, and then oh, Thanos' yeah. ships is destroyed. Bye. <laughs> yeah, and instead the key to battle is Tony Stark again, the old white man. Exactly. <laughs> Once again, which is a shame because also I think these movies should be about teamwork, and instead it all comes down to Iron Man kind of fixing the problem well, he is with, the, his, with his wits. Yeah, he's the original. He's you know he's the one who launched it all, or technically his movie was. So yeah, and again, like it's hard not to get tearing up at that final sacrifice that he makes, and mm-hmm. he is kind of the core of the story. Like he has an opportunity to go back in time, but he's also moved on. He's made a life for himself, and the fact that he would have to give that up in order to ensure like the people who are gone get a chance to come back and you know obviously i can't help but you know love that relationship he has with pierre parker even though it's kind of weird that you know it feels like he gets more emotional moment than his wife gwyneth paltrow (laughs) (laughs) or his daughter exactly so um speaking of which okay john i'm glad that you could be emotionally invested in that okay what about the other strong female character who also gave herself who gave up her life to continue this journey i'm talking about black widow where is justice for scarjo here <laughs> why does tony stark at the big grand funeral where everybody sheds tears what what happened with black widow she also <sighs> oh, sacrificed herself because jeremy renner needed to be an important factor in this movie and so since he's a strong mm-hmm. because he's a big strong white man we needed to give we needed to fridge <laughs> another woman to give him an arc so that's what had to happen okay i mean yeah. i thought that scene was actually pretty clever because they end up back to where the soul stone is meant to get to meant to be gotten yes. to meant to be received if, yes if you remember and you have to if you remember the original Affinity War movie, which came out eight years ago, <laughs> Thanos had to basically sacrifice his daughter, a Gamora, to get the stone. Mm-hmm. And so basically they have to do it again, this time with Black Widow and Hawkeye. Hey, we need to go to a distant planet. Who do we send? Uh, the two special ops agents. Let's send them. 
So yeah. <laughs> there's that incongruity. But then, you know, yes. they, they both know a sacrifice has to be made, and both of them want to do it. So they end up getting into a fight mm. on who's going to kill themselves in order to achieve this stuff. Eh, that, that I didn't like. I thought that was again, kind it of felt interesting. Like, hey, we need... We need to... Well, no, I mean, the the setup is interesting. The little conversation they have is interesting. However, they're like, oh, audiences are getting bored here. Let's have a yeah. ridiculous action scene where he literally shoots at her with an arrow. <laughs> and, you know, like they needed a grappling hook and all that. Like, I thought, you didn't, that's all superfluous. Just have a, a scene where they're talking. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, ramp up the stakes dramatically instead of, you know, kinetically. That doesn't that made, doesn't make it any more interesting. But. I mean, it's still kind of again. Where was her funeral? <laughs> that's what I that's what I demand. You get a moment at the end with Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye, and they're like, oh, we we miss him because you know she lost the vi- she lost Vision, he lost Scarlet Witch. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was fine. I thought it was fine. I liked it. Okay. I All thought right. I thought she got enough love. But yes, you're not the only one. As we were leaving the theater, my husband said the same thing. Was like, where's ScarJo's funeral? Hmm? Why, does Tony, <laughs> yeah. why does Tony get the big send off? <laughs> yes. So we should say, following this battle, there is a very long denouement, even though this is three hours. I think following the battle, there's at least another Look, it's, 30. Look, it's, it doesn't kind of feel wrapping as, up all the story It doesn't lines. feel as bad as Fellowship of the King, so I'm going to give them a gold star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe you said, uh, I'm not going to give you a gold star, because you said Fellowship of the King. Oh, sorry. Fel- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Return confused. of the King. My bad. Fel- Return yeah. of the King. It's, it's late, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed. I've never heard that before. But anyway, yes. um, following that, we have to wrap up some of our other storylines. Yes, Tony Stark has sacrificed himself mm-hmm. and um, his newfound family following this, following the um, snap that killed everybody. Uh, there's an opportunity for Captain America to go back in time and kind of returns every stone and timeline let's, everything yeah let's it, not even get into how ridiculous the time travel yeah. <laughs> you know they they hang a lampshade on it which is enough for me but yeah let's not even yeah. get into how little that makes sense it's just oh yeah we'll borrow mm-hmm. the stones and then put them back in the timeline where they belong <laughs> like are you kidding me yeah <laughs> instead the point is to reunite captain america with his old flame agent Carter. so that they can enjoy a big yes thank you <laughs> they can enjoy a big long happy life together yeah, and exactly and so, that's how we get chris evans out of his contract good... so yay captain america yeah. gets his send off <laughs> but at least well i'm glad that not every character got written off via or written out and, and i don't mean to be bl- that blithe in the term obviously these people have committed a decade to, of their lives to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that some of them got... There's a variety of different kind of happy endings here. Exactly. I mean, there is kind of a thematic undercurrent that I did want to mention, the fact that it's, it especially comes up in the first half where, you know, there's this whole idea of grief and how we quote-unquote move on or we don't. And so there's that yeah. ultimate question, do we move on or we don't? Well, remember, this is a, and there's also that conversation that Tony and Steve Rod- and Steve Rogers have, where they're like, uh, maybe it's time to get a life. And then you remember, this is a movie yeah. for comic book fans, so no, <laughs> they don't move on. They try to fix the problem, <laughs> and no, they ultimately do not get a life. They either sacrifice it, or Steve, Steve Rogers eventually does, which I thought was kind of against the message, ultimately, of what they were trying to make, but yes, ultimately, you know, fixing the problem obsessing over it that's what solves the, that's what saves the day yeah. not moving on not trying to you know that's not letting that's go. what pulls tony that's exactly that's what pulls 
Tony Stark into this ridiculous cockamamie plan. <laughs> um, initially, they tell him, hey, time travel's possible. You have a big genius brain to solve it. And he says no, but it keeps niggling at him, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a zit that you can't pick. Yeah, so exactly. I've, I'm obviously I've obviously projecting when I, when I use the analogy of uh, facial, facial issues, but... <laughs> But yes, I think that is kind of an, uh, maybe a, another meta moment because there there are a yes. lot of really good meta jokes. One of my favorite is when they're planning the like the time heist, how they're going to get all the Infinity mm-hmm. Stones. You know, Scarlet. Um, I keep calling her Scarlet Witch. <laughs> Black Widow Witch. makes the moment. Scarlet Johansson. Scarlet. <laughs> Scarlet Spider mentions, <laughs> like you know, if we yes. go on the right date, three stones are in New York at one time. Isn't that kind of silly? <laughs> like that's kind of the lampshade yeah. they're hanging on that. <laughs> Exactly. So that said, I didn't really, other than that, you know, girl power moment, which I feel like was a little cheesy and a little pandering. I didn't roll my eyes in any other moments. I felt like the callbacks were good. The the twists in the elevator scene, I did appreciate. Um, the fact that it's not just, they weren't just like kind of redoing. I thought it would have been more clever if... Like, let's say there was a moment in the Avengers that you remember, but like now suddenly it's our th- characters from a future timeline are kind of inserted in there, mm-hmm. and you never notice the first time. Obviously, they couldn't do that. That must have been like impossible to try to ring that out. Mm-hmm. But uh, still, I, I think it's good callbacks. Like, yes, rewarding the fans. I, d- I do want to push back that this is just for comic book fans. This is obviously for a mass, massive worldwide no, audience. But this, but um, surprisingly, this feels like the most comic book fan ready. Or at least rewards them the most mm-hmm. than any other movie, or at least someone who's well, obsessed yeah, over these true. movies over the years, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, because that—that's that's kind of the um, brilliance of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they all they all work standalone, but they all have those little Easter eggs. This is the only one that kind of rewards you for remembering all those Easter eggs. I would say. I guess so. Yeah, I and they I, they did know how to pull out the most like biggest popular moments. They're not going back to say. <laughs> Although the only uh, one Thor I picked the Dark up that, World? that really? a friend of mine, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so maybe not. And also, a friend of mine didn't pick up on. I remember Age of Ultron, which is one of my least favorite Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. But there is that moment when they're all like, it's a silly scene where they're all trying to pick up. They're all trying and failing to pick up Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. But Captain America can, can like budget an inch. So of course this pays off here, where yes, he can wield Thor's hammer in the big battle at the end. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right because I don't know if the Marvel, how the Marvel universe is going to move on from here. They did set up different storylines, like Thor is now with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and Valkyrie is now in charge of this uh, little Asgard colony in Scotland or something like that. So yeah, I'm sure there's going to there's going to be a plethora of storylines for Phase Four. But um, <laughs> yeah, we got to figure out contracts and things like that. Exactly. Storylines, and I don't know. I I maybe it will be the level of success will be the same um i'm a little worried because this there are a ton of pop culture references in this movie mm-hmm. and i don't want to be like you know telling my grandkids like yeah this is the most popular you know form of entertainment you see they fortnite roll their eyes and they're say, playing like, this game called fortnite let me tell you about yeah. fortnite <laughs> <laughs> and they're like whatever grandpa <laughs> glorb you're so fib <laughs> God, can't we just enjoy the cognitive implants in peace? Gosh, do you have to explain everything? Yeah. <laughs> you used to sit and watch a, mo- a picture move in front of you? Gosh. <laughs> so old-fashioned. God. Speaking of which, we literally rearranged our schedule for a movie. Think how, think how patently ridiculous that is. Almost as ridiculous as an emergency podcast. I, I, mean. gave, myself, I gave three hours of my life to this movie. <sighs> Was it worth it? 
I, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> yes, because my life is not worth it. <laughs> I know. It's, it's it says more about our lives than the quality of the movie, which is good. Mm-hmm. Again, solid, very solid entertainment is all nearly all the Marvel movies are. Exactly. <sighs> something for the fans. Finally, something for the exactly. fans. <laughs> Finally, something for the fans. John, I've I've got two places where we've got something for our fans, Ooh. as little as there are. Greg, I'm foaming at the mouth. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter for all the latest updates, all the movies we're going to be watching. Yes. Namely stuff like big popular releases like Marvel's or the Avengers Endgame, which I know is the biggest event movie until next year when, I don't know, Jurassic Park 3 comes out. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> oh, that's cute. Jurassic you, World you think 3. Gosh, not even I can keep up. I'm an old man. But that's cute. You think Jurassic, Par- Jurassic World 3 is going to be the big event movie? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, these, these records are made to be broken, so... Mm. No, Greg, the next big event movie is Avatar 2, The Life Seed. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's the yes. subtitle of The Life Seed. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I, I've got blood flow just thinking about that title. <laughs> um, oh, I'm sorry. It's called Avatar 2, Fellowship of the King. I forgot. Sorry. My bad. Yes. Fellowship of the King. Yeah. But you can find more quality content like what you just listened to on those social media feeds. Mm-hmm. And once you're done with that... If you're listening to this mm. on your podcast service of choice, whether it be Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever, you can rate and view us, give us five stars, and you can help other people help find our podcast. And we can build this Aspiring Snobs community together. I could say, Aspiring Snobs, assemble! And it would be a great clap moment. <laughs> everyone would clap. Everyone would love it. It'd be great. My, my The theater I was in mm-hmm. really came to life at that final moment when... Uh, it is just Captain America seemingly against this giant alien army. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then finally the rest of the Avengers kind of assemble. So, yeah, everybody was hooting and hollering for that. I was kind of impressed with my crowd. My crowd wasn't too uh, uh, verbose. They weren't very uh, enthusiastic, but at the, okay. they did laugh out loud at the, all the moments that I did. So I knew they were smart and sophisticated as I was. <laughs> it was a very erudite <laughs> crowd, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you. Okay, but not, not made of Marvel fanboys. Okay, no. more, you know, more trying to stay in no the cultural zeitgeist, but you can. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was no stank. Please. There was no Marvel stank. Like when we when we saw yeah. the first Avengers at midnight. Oh, remember the smell? Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. That there was there was a lot of enthusiastic young men or older men, um, <laughs> middle aged men, following the movie, but. You know, it's fine. Hey, if you have feedback for us, you know, don't like our our characterization of Marvel fans um, who make every reference to the comic or whatever, go ahead and email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. And also send us recommendations. Uh, if you have a, either a classic movie that you think we should watch or a recent release that you would like our opinion on, go ahead, send it our way. We'll be sure to respond. Yes. We're always looking forward to feedback from our audience. So please, reach out to us. Mm-hmm. You'll email John is. I'm <laughs> okay. <but. laughs> uh, well, Greg, we've already given him so much premium mm-hmm. content. What are we watching next week, pray tell? Well, John, I brilliantly picked out the excellent movie that we watched this week. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you have selected an equally <laughs> impressive movie for next week. It's a, from one, uh, I want to say his name's Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Never heard of him, but uh, I don't know. He apparently has some reputation. And we're going to be watching an oldie but a goodie from him. I think his first 
big break into American cinema. It's just like Denis Villeneuve did with NCND. We're talking The 39 Steps. Oh, Greg, shoot. I haven't seen Step 1 through 38. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> it's going to be like watching Endgame without seeing all the other 21 movies. <laughs> Yes, and that's the quality content that you're getting for free. <laughs> Can you believe that this isn't? We're not charging for this. I know this is this is a premium episode, but it's free to all you users. Remember that, okay? Mm-hmm. Again, emergency podcast. So yeah, emergency. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to. I think this isn't our first Alfred Hitchcock movie, is it? Gosh, that'd be stunning if we were 130. No, because we did Psycho. We remember. Done. We did Psycho. Oh, that's true, yeah. yes. And we adored Psycho. Hopefully we adore uh, his movie from about 20 years earlier just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I, I actually do have my hopes up. So We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I yeah, mean, that's kind of the weird thing about Alfred happens. Hitchcock is that, yes, he was brilliant filmmaker, but also, you know, he was doing... He, there's some movies he just kind of was like, I'm doing it for the money. I'm phoning it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. Well, he was certainly director of his time, like a... At the way that the the movies are kind of shot and paced, obviously more com- compelling for an audience in the 50s and 60s than they are for today. That's a majority of his work. Obviously, we both adore Psycho. That one belongs in canon forever. But uh, there, there's a few in there that I that I don't think kind of stand the test of time. But I'm optimistic that 39 Steps does. But we'll see next week, won't we? All Tune right. in next week to find out what we think of a movie you've never heard of. So... <laughs> So yes, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, aspiring snobs assemble. Actually, there's a lot of jazz. Did you notice there's a lot of jazziness? Yes, yes, there's a lot of jazz. Oh, we didn't even talk about all the community cameos, did we? Oh my gosh, Ken Ken Jong and a ridiculous mustache. Yvette Cole Brown and Ken Jong didn't even get a line. They were probably like, "This is too much. This is he's too much right now." But Yvette Yvette Nicole Brown was perfect. Brilliant in her in her mousy way. Yes, loved her. Yeah, I feel bad. Joel McHale, Jillian Jacobs. Who else? Yeah. Who else? Uh, Donald Glover, obviously. Well, Donald yeah. Glover was in uh, Homecoming. Daniel Putty. Oh, that's right. I know. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the forgotten and one. And Daniel Putty was in was in um, Winter, Soldier Winter Soldier for like a half second. Yeah. Yeah. Still, they should have gotten lines. I know. Yeah. The Russo brothers, they know how to reward their own. <laughs> I know. We uh, speaking of which, Don, we didn't talk about a representation win. Oh, Craig, we already did. The, the women, they all get a shot. <laughs> they all get their scene. <laughs> no, I'm talking. I'm talking about the the first gay character in. Who? Any Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Who? Well, you remember that counseling scene? Oh, that's right. Yes, that's actually one of the directors. I don't know what his sexuality is, but he said he like he went out on a date with a man. Oh, really? And they just started crying because, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, all the gay men are emotionally <laughs> weak. <laughs> oh, <So>. my God. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>